What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Stoller, your host of the Richer Geek Podcast. As many of you know, I have owned or managed over 1,500 doors from single-family homes, multifamily, and hotels. I've received so many questions about how I transitioned from multifamily to hotels. I've been featured on some of the our nation's largest podcasts. I've spoken at national conferences about hotel investing. How do you do it? What are the differences between multifamily and hotel investing? What about franchises? What did I learn during COVID? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to announce that I'll be having a hotel investor workshop on May 5th and 6th of 2023. If you're interested in hotel investing, please come join us. You can sign up on our website, therichergeek.com. Go to the bottom of the page and click on training. I'm hoping to see you all there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Richer Geek. I am uh, happy and pleased to have Jeff Johnson, he's the author of the upcoming book, One Decade to Make Millions. And uh, I think we're all hoping to do that. But, uh, you know, he's going to give us some scenarios. He's going to give us some uh, examples that uh, he has learned, you know, through his his career as a uh, financial planner. And we're going to kind of dive into that. And see what kind of things and different nuggets we can learn. How you doing, Jeff? Dan, never better. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me as a guest. I really appreciate the opportunity to to share what I've been doing and about my upcoming book. Well, let's talk about your uh, your beginning. You know, let's talk a little bit about you and and where you've been and what you're doing now. Sure, sure. Well, I'm a I'm a country boy from Nebraska, and I got in the investment business in 1982. The day the market hit the hit a low of 777, the Dow Jones average. So that kind of shares, you know, it dates me a bit. But it's, yeah, it's been a wonderful career. I worked basically as a stockbroker for 15 or 20 years and then cre- started my own firm, a private wealth manage- management firm, which I um, ma- managed and, and ran for about 15 years and now have merged that firm five years ago into a national firm called Buckingham Strategic Wealth. So I remained a partner and continue to be active, but we're able to turn over some of the the day-to-day and some of the some of the hard parts of being an entrepreneur over to people that do that all the time, hiring, firing, benefits, pension plans, and, and so on. So one of the things that that uh, in my career that was uh, that's been a thrill is I was asked to teach a class uh, a university class on financial planning and personal finance. And I said, I'm too, I'm too busy. I can't do it. But 
the dean of business knew who I was, and he said, just teach it for a semester or maybe two, and we'll find somebody to do it. And so they didn't find anybody else to do it, so I did it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, a, just an honor to, to teach to teach young people, the 20 somethings. And, and after I quit, because I wanted to spend more, more time just working with clients and, and, you know, teaching a class a couple of times a week, in, in, in addition to my regular career, it took a lot of time. And as I get longer in the tooth, I want to work a little bit less. So I quit. <laughs> I started getting calls from, from my former students that had my number or had, we were friends on Facebook and they were having incredible success. And, um, about a year ago, one of the students who was now in his early thirties said, Hey, I got to tell you how I'm doing. I'm like, great. I'm, and I remembered him cause he had an unusual name, an unusual last name. And he was an excellent student. So I always remembered that. And the bottom line was he and his, and his wife who he didn't, they both took my class at different times and they didn't know each other, but they're in their thirties. They had $700,000 accumulated, hmm. which just, you know, warms my heart. Hmm. Absolutely. And I said, what, what did you do? He said, I just did what you, what you taught us to do in class. I started saving and I started increasing my savings and, and I invested wisely. And, you know, you know, this guy's going to have several million dollars by the time he's 40. Yeah. And that's, that's fantastic. So, you know, there's, let's kind of stick on the, the, the early twenties and, and some of the, the, the younger people. Cause sure. I'm starting to see a couple of things. I'm far removed from, you know, the, the Z's and the, you know, Gen Z's and whatever the, the different ones of the younger people. And they seem to not spend a lot, you know, so I think they're doing a lot that are kind of like, well, cause you know, they've never been able to afford to. Um, But I'm seeing different things where, well, should they even save it all? And then the financial planners like you are saying, well, wait a minute, you need to start saving now. What do you, what's some of the things that you've actually taught some of these young people and what you would teach specifically people in their twenties now? Sure. So in this book called one decade to make millions and that, and that decade, by the way, is the decade of your twenties. That was, that's okay. really where you get a leg up. And I could tell you some stories around that as well, hmm. but it's the importance of understanding compounding. Now I feel like I feel like your listeners are are probably a leg up with the rest of the world in understanding interest rates and understanding mathematics. And if you understand compound interest and you just get a calculator and can and can and spend a little time playing with the numbers, you realize that when you save over 40 or 50 years period of time rather than 20 or 30 years that the results are magnified. And the only way you can do that, unless you're going to live to and work till, you know, 100 is to get started when you're in your 20s. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be it does not have to be insane amounts of money either. It can be reasonable amounts. I mean, I always you know, teach in my classes or, or used to teach uh, um, spend some, save some. Mm-hmm. But the important part is make sure you do save some and you don't do anything really crazy with it. But it doesn't mean you can't have some fun. It just means you can't spend it all. Yeah. And, and, there, and there are, you know, there are a great many people in, in across America that do that. And they do that until they get to be in their 50s. And then they come to me or, or someone like me and say, <laughs> uh, you know, I sure like to retire when, when I get to be 60. You know, and I'm like, well, how much have you accumulated? Well, none. But I make a lot. I'm like, well, you're going to have to really save a lot. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, they, they have it's, to adopt a plan B. It's sad, you know, when you see people in their 70s 
um, you know, working as cashiers or working for, you know, different things. You're just like, going, man, I just do not want to be that person, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it is very, um, very smart what you're doing. And, you know, how about like accumulating debt? You know, it's some people teach us like, look, you can't buy it. Don't, you know, if you can't afford it, don't buy it type, type of a deal. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to, I would like to think, you know, that, that, that we could, we could get through life without having any in debt, but I, I don't think that's realistic. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I think some of your listeners probably very high income mm -hmm. uh, at an early age and, and probably could, uh, if they, you know, lower their cost of living and instead of buying an enormous house and instead of buying, you know, uh, $250,000 cars, um, lived a, a more modest lifestyle. Yeah. They could probably be debt free early on, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's one, I think that's wonderful. I know in my life I couldn't do that. And, and, and most of the people that I taught, uh, in college classes couldn't do that, but it's important to have the right kind of debt. If you're going to have it, whether I think there's a big difference between good debt and bad debt, bad debt is used to buy something that is of diminishing value or no value whatsoever. It's like it's borrowing to take an exotic trip, you know, twenty five or fifty thousand dollars. And I've seen people do that. And then when it's gone, you still have the debt, but the, and, and the, the travel's over. Better to pay cash for that. Mm -hmm. Good debt would be owning, uh, buying property, mm -hmm. buying a buying a house that can appreciate in, in time, or at least lock in your costs if you're in a rising, escalating market, or um, buying any kind of commercial investment property that is going to be valuable. <laughs> I think that's a really smart, a smart thing to do. I do, I, I, you know, one of the big benefits of being a real estate investor, and again, let me caveat that with, I'm not a professional in, in the real estate markets, but I've been an observer for 40 years. And one of the beauties of real estate is it's a, you know, it's a permanent asset. You can leverage it. You can get attractive financing at times and the financing costs exceed or, or, or lower than the, the revenues generated. <laughs> you know, that's calling getting a wind at your back, mm -hmm. you know, when you're making more than you're spending and your investments return more in cash flow than the costs of the property, you've got, you've got two engines firing, make it, making you wealthy. That's right. So, yeah. And, I, and I've always, and I am a professional real estate investor. That's what I okay. do yeah, for my great. full time. And uh, I, I've always said that, you know, you can, you can leverage things that make you money. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, so I do think that's smart. I, there, there are investments like in the equity and stock markets, which is what most of my investment dollars for my clients have been, and myself. You know, a little leverage can work for you, but but oftentimes for non-professionals, it doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and I'm reminded of um, Hamlet. Polonius, uh, I think, was was said, you know, neither a borrower or a lender be, and if and if if that's the case, you know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't borrow money. And you'd own only equities. Well, you know, again, I don't think that's realistic today. But if you're borrowing money and using it in a constructive way, I think that's you know, I think that's smart. The other the other side of it is if you're a really high income individual and you're the cash flow is coming in, you don't really have to have outsized returns either. You can get good average returns from owning um, a broadly diversified stock mutual an index fund. And probably average over a long period of time, high single digits or, or even 10%. I think that I think uh, historical numbers would support my statement. 
And, you know, if you're making a high single digit number and you're pouring a lot of money into your account, you don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to take undue risk. You don't have to do you don't have to spend any extra time managing it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really comes down to as a financial planner, I, I tell people the first thing to do is figure out what do you really want to achieve? What's really important to you? Forget about thinking about what other people think about you. You know, you don't have to drive a certain car or have a certain purse or wear certain clothes. Um, it, you know, unless you want to, that's fine. But if you're doing it because you think of what some, somebody else's opinion, that's a, that's, that's probably not a sort of way to, to be happy. Mm -hmm. So think about what you really want to achieve and what would really make you happy, truly make you happy. And that's sometimes hard for people to do. And, and I will tell you, most people in America today are random. They live a random life. They, they go to work, they, you know, they have some sort of goals. They want to send a kid to college and they want to remodel the upstairs and, you know, that kind of thing, but they don't have real intentional goals about what they want to achieve. And mm -hmm. you know, that is one of the things that I do with, with people professionally is, is help them think about that. But our, our listeners today should just think about that. Number one, figure out what you really want to achieve. What is it really that's important to you? And then get started. It is, you know, um, the plan doesn't have to be perfect. The execution needs to be good. But um, I think uh, I think Jamie Dimon was credited with with either saying or repeating, you know, I'd rather have a, a mediocre plan that's executed perfectly than have a perfect plan that's not executed. Mm -hmm. So get your plan. It doesn't have to be perfect and get to work and start saving. Now, in your book, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's uh, one decade to uh, make millions. You talk about the strategies. What are some of the strategies that people can think about and utilize that you could tell them people that are in their twenties. Sure. Thank you. You know, uh, and this is a strategy. What I'm going to tell about, to tell you about is, is not a guarantee to, to make money. And it's definitely not in the short run, but it's called dollar cost averaging. And in this approach, rather than trying to, to pick bottoms and avoid tops, uh, the, the investor just makes um, investments of a fixed amount. Let's say monthly, mm -hmm. whether it's $200 a month or, you know, $20,000 or a hundred thousand or whatever the amount is. If you, if you, if you set up a plan to invest when market values are higher, you buy less shares. And when they're lower, you end up with more shares bringing you in at a lower average cost It's called dollar cost averaging. And, you know, you can do searches online and find all kinds of definitions, but that's the basics of it. And in my book, I tell the story about a young woman that called me now about 40 years ago. I didn't really know her, but she was a friend of a friend. She didn't really have any money. So I needed to get clients that could pay me. So I said, I'll help you. And we did it over the phone. I never met her. And, and she, I helped her sign up for her 401k plan. She goes, well, I'm not very good with money. Well, about four or five years later, she calls and says, something's wrong. Do you remember me? And I kind of vaguely remembered her. And she said, something's wrong. And I thought, okay, well, what? She goes, I need to bring this statement in. Well, she had invested like ten dollars or $15,000 over a period of a few years, but it was worth $25,000. She said, something's wrong. Well, she had this had been a gain and, you know, through ups and downs. She goes, okay, well, no problem. Well, I didn't hear from her again until about a year and a half ago. She was 62 years old. And she says, you know, I never really looked at this count because I know I'm not very good with money. It was $2 million. And she was not in a high-pay job. She she worked for a financial company, uh, and the said same company. And she said, "Well, oh, you know, I was married and divorced a couple times, and I'm, you know, I spent all the rest of my money, but all this money is in this 401k plan." And she just kept putting the money in 
for 40 years. I think it was like 38 years. Wow. And I call her, you know, that's from dollar cost averaging. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially if your company does matching. Yeah. I mean, right. that's, that's free money, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you stay with the company for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a strategy that, that just about anybody can implement over a period of time. Um, having a long-term view is absolutely important in stocks because the whims of the market, which we're experiencing now, this, you know, this recording is in October and, and uh, in October of, of 2022, and we're going through a really difficult time price-wise, but you know, um, that's when you buy, if, if you have, a, if you have a long-term perspective, if you're doing dollar cost averaging, you just keep putting in the same amount, you're buying more shares than you were before. It's not a guarantee that you're going to make money and it's definitely not a guarantee you're going to make money in the short run. But, you know, people that have done this over the last, you know, this last century have, have done pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it amazes me sometimes when I see that, and I see it in real estate also when it, it's starting to crash, it's starting to go down, people panic right. and sell. And that's just, that has never, ever made sense to me. Right. Um, you know, a lot of us have made, uh, you know, most of our money or a lot of our money when things are down. Of course. Well, you and, can definitely make it faster if you if you step up and you make timely investments that way because because you're buying it a, with plenty of room on the upside. Yeah. And we know with trends, um, things will recover. You know, it may not be for another two years. Might not be another five, might be next year. I mean, we just, you don't know. But history and trends have told us that, you know, real estate and, and the markets will uh, recover. And I, th I think that's an important reason why people should diversify. Something else let me share that, that it, it, I didn't, I don't cover it in the book, but it's something, it's a, it's an exercise that the smart people that want to do a little research that they can make as a foundation for their thinking Look back at the history of market returns. You can find it online. Anybody can find it. Or a favorite old mutual fund, whatever. And look at the average annual returns each year going back for, for decades and decades. Then put that into a spreadsheet and look at what rolling 10-year periods look like. Look at every individual 10-year period. Okay, you're going to find a range of returns there. You're going to have some 10-year periods where you actually didn't make very much money for over 10 years. Like, for example, the 70s would be a good example of that. And there's going to be periods of time where the returns are absolutely outsized, which would be like the 80s and the 90s. Mm -hmm. Then look at 20-year rolling periods. Now that band of, of returns tightens up a little bit. The highs aren't as high, the lows aren't as low. And then do it for 30 years and do it for 40 years. And pretty soon those average returns really narrow in. And I'm going to, you know, I think what, what uh, our listeners would find if they they did that is long, long-term returns are high single digits to, to 10 or 11%, mm -hmm. depending on the index, depending on the fund. But it doesn't break down in individual years. In fact, there's very few years that end up being high single digits or, you know, 10%. They're mm -hmm. usually much, much more or much less. So that adopting that long-term foundational knowledge about it gives me, you know, gives me comfort and my clients comfort that we can, make investments. We don't like it when they're down, like the, at the, but if you, um, if you, you make long-term investments and you know what the results are going to be over a long period of time, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a good way to accumulate. Now, what do you tell 20 somethings that are listening to this? They've made some 
major financial mistakes. Uh, they've, you know, five years into it, they've cashed out their 401k or they've taken loans or they've just mm-hmm. high debt to income. And they're like going, I, I don't have the money. I yeah. can't do this. What, what do you tell, how do you tell them that, that they can bounce back? Well, it certainly can because they have, you know, lots of years and they definitely have earning power. Um, and that's going to, that should grow for a number of years, but probably need to take a look at a, maybe a plan B, maybe look at what their costs are. I, I know certain areas of the country have incredibly high cost of living, incredibly high home prices. And, um, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with that except, except to say, is there any way that you can have, have less money invested in, in residential real estate? Cause I think that is money that is, you know, unlike the investment properties that you and I talked about, I mean, in this broadcast and even earlier, um, investment properties is a different thing because it, you know, the the more assets you have there, the more that your return should be. But you know, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes, and so you know, don't don't kick yourself too hard. Just learn from it and move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'll share a book: "The Road Less Stupid." is a favorite book of mine. You know, if you know this book, it's a, it's an incredibly good read and it's good for anybody. It's, it's about business and owning a business property, Mm -hmm. but it's also good just to, to be, learn to be intentional and and really think through what you want to do. And I think that that book, the Keith Cunningham is the author uh, of the road less stupid. It's worth, it's a book worth buying today. And I, I made it part of my personal annual MBA program. I, I read 20 books or so and reread them every year. I'm not smart enough to remember them all. Remember everything. <laughs> and, and I go through and I highlight them in a different color every year. So now that book is almost completely highlighted in five or six different shades. Yeah. But um, we all make mistakes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, one of the my favorite books that I've got probably 100 tabs in, it's called Money Secrets of the Rich. It's yeah. by a friend of mine named John Burley. And... It's kind of along the same way. It's like, look, here's what the truly rich are doing and how they're not being stupid. Yeah. And here you are paying $10 for your coffee and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and doing things like that, that you can be a little more smarter about. And that's, that's really something. Yeah. So what's more important. So you've got this 20 something made some bad problems, bad, you know, financial mistakes, um, getting your credit score, up to a good place or building up your savings or both? Well, I mean, I think they're both super important. Um, the, the, the credit score is really, really vital for everything anymore mm-hmm. for, you know, just your insurance rates for, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you have to build that back, but mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be super high. It doesn't have to be 820 or whatever the top end is, but his needs to be reasonable. But, Having some wood in the shed, you know, I, I, the basis for in this book is the the basis for all my teaching of the young people is called the five financial foundations. And and here, here they are. Always save money. Every time you get some money, whether it's earned or whether it's, you know, from your late aunt or, you know, for whatever it is, if you're a bartender and a server or whether you get by paycheck, you know, save some money every time you get it. It doesn't have to be all of it. Have a cash reserve. I call it having wood in the shed. I'm a country boy, you know, yeah. have, some, have some reserve because it takes the pressure off of a, you know, we live a life of pressure 
in the in the U.S. in modern America. The third thing is maximize your retirement plan. And if you're young, have it mostly or all invested in equities. And you know, I would prefer uh, uh, an equity index fund. Number four is have the right size house, the right size, the right price house. Really important. And sometimes well-meaning people, real estate people and well-meaning relatives will say, buy the biggest house you can afford and start getting equity buildup. Well, I can see I can see where it looks like that that's what it is. But, you know, with the real lar really large house comes higher property taxes, higher insurance, more furniture you got to buy. Utilities. Carpets and the grapes, the drapes and the utilities and the, and the landscaping, you know, is, you know, two or three X what it would be if you had a smaller more comfortable, you know, a comfortable mm -hmm. home that just costs less. So that's a big deal. And the last thing is no bad debt. Mm -hmm. If you can eliminate your bad debt and have only good debt, low cost, tax deductible that's used to accumulate things that will um, that will help you gain wealth, mm -hmm. gain income, gain assets, as opposed to just spending on things that have are meaningless. Yeah. Value. You know, I know some young people that live in apartments, but have five rental houses. Yeah. And they right. themselves live in an apartment. And I'm like, there you go. There you go. Smart or thinking. They, uh, they live in a duplex. Yeah. And rent out the one side. Yeah. Just smart thinking. Smart thinking. I know, you know, I could, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a professional in the real estate business, but many, many of my clients have also owned real estate. And so I've been able to be an observer of what they've done. And I, I one client just did exactly that. He was in real estate, he bought a duplex, he still owns it. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, in his 60s. Yeah. You know, and, and that depreciation really, really helps. You know, that's yeah. the other part that you can teach people. Yeah, uh, within your financial plan is is you know if you make a lot of income and you have a lot of taxes, if you have if you diversify into some real estate that or into something that has depreciation. Yep, that's really good. Um, so what else can we talk about with your book? You know, some other uh, some tidbits. You know, I, I really love the concept of getting the wind at your back, the financial wind at your back. And that's you have two engines. One is, you know, when you when you're earning more than you're spending. Um, Benjamin Franklin is credited with saying um, the way to have wealth is to learn to diminish your wants or augment your means, but preferably both. And, you know, if you get that, that's one engine that's working for you. Yep. The second is get your investments working for you and get that working as soon as possible. Then you have two engines and that's when you really have an acceleration of your, of your net worth. Mm -hmm. I would be a proponent of learning how to make a simple net worth statement. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be what an accountant would, would do, but you know, two or three times a year, well, even, even uh, January 1st and on the 4th of July, make a list of everything you own, all the properties you own mm -hmm. and make a list of everything you owe. Accounts would call that assets and liabilities. Yep. And subtract them, and that is your net worth. Yep. And or you know, in common language, that's your wealth. Mm -hmm. And do track it. You know what gets managed. What, what gets measured gets managed. And if you're even if you don't have really strong you know financial goals, um, yeah, I think this is a useful tool that I try to I try to get my students to uh, to to do on a regular basis. And I still I try to have clients do this. Sometimes I have to do it for them, and I'm happy to do it. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a really powerful tool for for our listeners if they if if they um, haven't been doing that to, to do the tracking. Yeah, that's that's really important. And and luckily for me, I have the the banks that make me do it every year. Yeah, you right. know, because they want to know my where I am. You know, if if they're lending me 
you know, millions and millions of dollars and things like that. So it's, sure. it is surprising. You're like, well, okay. It's, it's a very nice exercise. And I agree with that. Um, so what are some of the, uh, in your book, there's a lot of stories that you have. Yeah. Um, what, just give us one that you were most surprised by in regards to like how much they were able to save anything else, you know, other than the, the two stories you just told us. Sure. Well, you know, one of the stories is, is the Barry, the bartender. Is this real, is a real story. He was in my very first class and he fell asleep in the middle of class for the first several weeks. And I thought, you know, I was, I was a new teacher and I thought I must really be a poor teacher. So I asked him after class, stick around. And he was, you know, he knew I was, I was going to ask him what the deal was, but turns out he was a bartender. He was in a college, in a college town and he was working almost every night and bars closed at two o'clock. He had to clean up. So he didn't get home till four o'clock and he had another part-time job on campus. And, you know, by the time my three o'clock class rolled around, you know, he was spent. So I said, but do you want to be in this class or do you, you know, when you want to drop an ad and something else? He's like, no, I really want to stay in the class, but I just couldn't stay awake. And, and I had started with a stupid rule and said, no coffee and candy and that stuff. We're, we're here to, we're here to learn. So I scrapped that. And so you move to the front, front row and you bring a great big steaming coffee with you. Uh, and he was not a great student. He was not a A plus student, but he learned a lot. And we talked after class and he had questions because he was had this cash flow. Turns out he also was mowing lawns and, and this was in Lincoln, Nebraska. So he was he was removing snow in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And so he asked questions and we stayed in touch lightly through through social media. And one day he messages me and says, could I come into your office? I, I, I need some help. And I'm like, OK, well, he had saved a really good six figure amount before he was 30. <laughs> and this was a like a C student. And he had accumulated this this money and he's, you know, he's continued on. I helped him set up an investment account and he continued, you know, he's going to be a, he's going to be a multimillionaire by 40. And he, and he has what I would describe as a good job at nothing, nothing stunning, mm -hmm. but he's going to have choices at life in life. He's going to be able to educate his children, live in a comfortable home um, and made some other, you know, they made some other life choices. He, he and his, his, uh, his spouse, his partner. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm thrilled by that. And, and that was really before I was what I thought was as a good teacher so, you know, I, I, as I think about our listeners uh, today, you know, even if you even if you haven't started saving or don't really have a program, just get started because savings is a muscle similar to like a physical muscle. You know, if you go to the go to the gym and you haven't been for years and you try to do a huge workout, you're going to be sore and you're going to hurt yourself. And, you know, maybe it won't be back for weeks or weeks. Start with a light workout. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Go for an you know, easy run or walk around the block rather than trying to run five miles. It's the same with savings. It, just start. If you're a bartender, save a buck or five bucks or 10 bucks every time you work. If you're you know, in a professional career and you have extra cash flow, take an amount that you know you can stick to and get started. And then you can increase it from there. So the plan doesn't have to be perfect. This needs to get some execution. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and when I've told people to do that and they said, oh, yeah, then I got I got better at it. Yeah, you will get better at it. So yeah. Yeah. That, that would be my advice for, for our listeners. Well, Jeff, that's, that's um, some great things that you're saying, some, uh, you know, inspirations and just the stories um, and a lot of great advice. You know, we appreciate it. How can people find you if they're interested in learning more? Sure. My, I have a website. It's my name, jeffcjohnson.com. 
I, my book is for sale on Amazon, uh, one decade to make millions. Um, I think the paperback is 15 bucks and the, the, e, the ebook and there's audible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're not super spendy, but a lot of practical advice. I have really good editors and publishers that help me thin down some of the extra. I know my readers are mostly young people that don't want to have a 300 page book on how to. And so this is a two hour, maybe a two to two and a half hour read. Uh, it also goes through in the very last chapter, how to choose a financial advisor, which I think is a super big decision. More important maybe than your investments is understanding who your advisor should be. Mm-hmm. But as much effort into choosing who you work with and get your advice from and making sure that's a right fit. Make sure it's somebody that's a fiduciary that's required mm-hmm. to look out for your best interests. Make sure you get the right kind of engagement, which could be an ongoing engagement, which is what I do for, for clients. Maybe starting out, you don't need that. Maybe you just need somebody to help you and you can pay them you know, a, a set amount to just help, just help you get started yep. on a one-time engagement. And get that started and you know and just get it kicked off that's that's what i would i'd be thrilled to find out you know in a year or two that somebody that listened to this program um really took it to heart and it really made a difference in their life absolutely well jeff i appreciate it our uh, time's coming to an end thank you so much for coming on the uh, richard geek everybody again it's jeff johnson get on amazon one decade to make millions a strategy to maximize the power of your 20s and i would still still do it for you in your 30s or 40s or even me you know older than that but uh, thank you jeff and uh take care thank you thank you thanks for the opportunity thanks for tuning in to the richard geek podcast where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom for today's show notes including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichardgeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you. And thanks for listening.